The Lord knew what he was doing when he named you Victoria. <laughs> Today is a very special Sunday, you all know that, because we're here for the word of God. I fooled you, fooled the men earlier. Uh, there is a second, a very distant second. They tell me this is Super Bowl 57, but this is increment 257. But if you're, I know some of you have a vested interest in the game, especially Pastor Brown, because he grew up in Philadelphia. And he preaches on the eagles, if we mount up with wings like eagles. But if some of you don't have a vested interest, I do want to inform you that Phil's neighbor, Justin Watson, will be. Are you going to be playing today, Phil? He's on the Kansas City Chiefs. His name is Justin Watson, and he grew up right next to Phil and Beth. He has wonderful parents. He's a very devoted and outspoken believer in Christ. And so you might want to watch for on Kansas City Chiefs number 84. What's his position, Phil? Wide receiver. So he might be a key player today. So if you didn't have a reason to watch the Super Bowl, you got one in Christ today to watch. Watch out for Justin Watson, number 84. Really good believer, good kid. I call everybody kid now because I'm old. Yes, sir. That's right. Craig? Is he from New Kensington? Okay, wow, now I'm torn. I don't Brian, who are you gonna who are you gonna root for? You don't know. You're wearing red. You're wearing red. Pam and I watched a wonderful movie last night with Charlton Heston and it was called Arrowhead. Isn't that the stadium for the can? That's not where they're playing today though, right? Phoenix. Phoenix. I'm, hey, I know. That's why I put you back up on the... Now, let's turn to Hebrews. We do have a relaxed atmosphere around here. It's good to have a relaxed frame of mind. We will be going to 2 Corinthians 4.1 because we're weaving Corinthians 2 core into Hebrews, but we'll also be going to Hebrews 8.9. Today's message will be Telestai Phalanx Affirmation number three. We don't give up. We don't give up. Number three of ten affirmations of Telestai Phalanx, where the Holy Spirit makes the universal word of God local for us and presses it home. We do announce and do have to announce that last week we prayed and we didn't want to hinder the Lord's receiving of Ginny Powell, one of our number in the phalanx, and he did in fact receive her to himself this week, Ginny Powell. She was going to be 98 in a couple of days, I believe, but the Lord received her and she'd been wanting to be with him for a long time. Her husband, Paul, whom I called Dad for many years, preceded her. And those two made me want to recapture my belief in the rapture because they received the word truly with rapture, the true meaning of the word rapture, with an elation, with joy, and with great liberation. 
Paul had given up, basically, on Christianity. And it's interesting that we don't give up. But it's because I think he got the wrong brand. And he said he was also in a church where they made him a deacon, and he wasn't even a believer. So, you know, some people slip through the track, the cracks. But he did become a believer, and he became a very avid follower of the word. And they graced the... Potter's Shed up in Little Hocking, Ohio, for many years, and I grew to love Paul and Jenny very much. I can't help but rejoice at her being with Paul now and with her Lord and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, in the unimaginable joy and rapture that she's feeling right now and experiencing now. So our Consolation, our prayer for consolation from the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the Triune God, drawing near to her family at this time and to all those who knew and loved her in Little Hocking at the Potter's Shed. We love all of you up there and always pray for your highest, the highest and best of the Lord for you. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his robe filled the entire temple. And the seraphim were singing and hollering and shouting consistently, Holy, 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 Lord God of the armies. And they had six wings each. One covered their eyes. One they, with two set, one set they flew. Another covered their feet. Because if human beings aren't, angels are at least modest about their service. Therefore, their wings covered their feet. They're modest about their presence in heaven. So they cover their face with their wings and they fly with their wings. And so we should approach the word of God and our service with great humility and modesty. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord became undone and those of us who have had some profound experience of the Lord's presence which is probably all of us at one time or another may have had that very experience of being undone Peter did when he saw who Jesus really was and saw his reality he said get away from me Lord because I'm a sinful man he couldn't bear being in the presence of the Lord but of course the Lord is very easy to be around and welcomes us because of his grace, his gentleness, his merciful faithfulness, and most of all, his love. I'm not one who believes that Jesus is no longer seen by anyone because I do believe that people have seen him recently in reality and in his presence. And Many of them were of entirely different faiths and are being converted by their visions of him. And when Isaiah saw the Lord, he also said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I've said many times in the congregation that I've had this experience because right now our nation is living in the midst of a communication cesspool as far as language, as far as what Paul warned against in Ephesians 5, 4. You can't 
be functional in the kingdom of God and have rotten speech come from your mouth, whether it's obscenity, suggestiveness, filth of all kinds, heresy, lies, whatever it is, the sins of the tongue prevent ministry and prevent service. They prevent active ministry in the kingdom of God, and they actually forbid inheritance of the kingdom of God, which is pretty serious stuff when you get down to it in Ephesians 5.4. So when I said I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips, Isaiah said, he said that not in judgmentalism, but in just reality, and he called on himself first, he called out himself first. But then a curious thing happened. One of the seraphim flew from the throne to an altar. On the altar there were burning coals of fire. And the angel took a tongue and took a piece of the coal, burning coal, went to Isaiah and put it on his lips and purified his speech. It was only then that he was ready to communicate the word of God when the Lord ordered the cleansing of his mouth, his lips, his speech. And then he heard a voice that said, who will go for us, whom will we send? And Isaiah the prophet said, here I am, send me. Now I think probably all of you have that sense that you would say, here I am, send me. And you don't know it yet, but you have been sent into this world. You are servants of a new covenant. And in that service, you can't quit. We don't quit. We don't quit, and I'm going to show you today, we don't quit. We don't give up because we can't give up. We can't give up. We don't give up because we can't give up. To tell us thy phalanx affirmation number three, we don't give up. First one, our hope is firm. Second one is we are very bold. Third affirmation, we don't give up. We don't quit, we don't cave, we don't kowtow, we don't bow, we don't grovel to the zeitgeist, the world system as it is now. We don't give up as ministers of the new covenant. You may have been in a ministry and quit that ministry. You may have been a minister and quit being a minister. You may have been in one church or ministry and left it for another church or ministry. But here's one minister you can't quit. We don't give up as ministers of the new covenant. 2 Corinthians 3.6 because we can't give up. And a new verse has emerged as far as being significant with the new covenant. And I'm speaking of Jeremiah 32:40, which is in the Septuagint translation or the Greek translation. There are several Greek translations. One happens to be the Septuagint. Jeremiah 39:40 in the Septuagint. And this message today is going to expand on the question, what is the new covenant, which we asked way back, I think, a week before Christmas. And what is the new covenant community? Both of those questions expanding. So we want to begin with a phrase, not like that covenant from Hebrews 8, 
9. And so what is the new covenant? And what is the new covenant community? Well, the Lord spoke in the prophet Jeremiah. Hebrews hits the ground running with that. God, in past times, spoke in the prophets. The Lord spoke in the prophet Jeremiah and said that this new covenant is not like the covenant, he said, not like the covenant I made with their fathers, their ancestors, in the day when I took hold of their hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. That's Hebrews 8, 9, which is a quote of Jeremiah 31, 32. Just like a new unshrunk patch of cloth, it's not like an old worn out garment. I look at some of the pictures of my youth when I was six or seven or eight or nine, almost all the pants I wore had patches on them. And sometimes if my mom didn't have time, she'd iron one on. Of course, that rolled up and fell off within a day, and then you'd sew some on. But then there'd, if you had old pants and then you had a new patch and then they washed the new patch, something weird happened, all these wrinkles happened, and when, when the unshrunk patch shrunk, the whole pant leg shrunk, and et cetera. So... When I beat up my neighbor one day, I had some very wrinkled-looking pants, so I looked very unglamorous. Now, that actually happened. I, I did punch Billy Roberts one time because he called my mom the B-word, and he shouldn't have done that. But uh, the, I remember the pants. They were always patched. Now, where am I going with this? I don't know. I'm old. I, I'm, let me wander. I don't know where I'm going. Now, Jesus said it in a parable. He said... You don't take a piece of unshrunk cloth and sew it on an old worn-out garment. Because when the garment is washed, the new patch will shrink and ruin the garment altogether. Now, maybe you're getting the idea we're talking about a new covenant, that you don't just patch on the old one. There's a new one altogether. Better to get just a whole new garment. Furthermore, in a twin parable, back-to-back in Matthew 9, 16-17, Jesus said, you don't take new wine, which is not yet bubbling and fermenting and having all those things happen that create the violent fermentation, new wine. You don't put that in an old wineskin that's ready to burst already. Because if you do that, the old wineskin will burst when the wine, the new wine begins to ferment and the wine will spill out everywhere and you don't have anything. Just like you don't put the new wine in old wineskins. The new wine is the filling of the Holy Spirit. The new wineskins are you, the new covenant community. So better to get a whole new garment and... In a twin parable, better to pour new wine into new wineskins. Then both the wine and the wineskins, Jesus said, are preserved. The new wine in new wineskins is the new covenant community. And that's what I'm talking about, the rapture and the elation of receiving the good word of God. What wine does to some, 
the new wine does for the new covenant community. The new covenant is not a new patch on an old garment. It's an entirely new garment. It's not like the covenant that God made with the Exodus generation. Nor would the results of the new covenant be like the results of the old covenant. The human response to the Old Covenant was sadly recalled in Hebrews 3, 7 to 11, which recalls Psalm 95, as you may remember. We stayed in that passage for a long time, and if you still remember it, it's because I just didn't leave it. We kept hitting it over and over again, Hebrews 3, 7, 11. It was a gloomy episode in the history of of the sons of Israel, highlighting their disobedience and unbelief and occasioning God's oath that they would not enter his rest or the land of inheritance. Not in this life. The new covenant is new wine poured not into the old man, palaios anthropos, but the new man, neos Anthropos or Kainos Anthropos, a new humanity with a new heart and a new spirit. Another new covenant verse is Ezekiel 36, 26. I'll take out that old stony heart. And Paul took that and brought it into the stone tablets upon which the law was etched and chiseled. And he said, but now the Holy Spirit is the author and he writes on fleshly tables, fleshly tablets, of the human heart. So we have a ministry not of the letter engraven in stones, but of the spirit who moves our hearts and who ever chisels, the ever tapping chisel of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole reason we're on this planet, the whole reason we live experiencing pressure. This whole world is pressure. It's a pressure cooker. And the pressure that you experience is the pressure of the gentle omnipotence of the ever-tapping spirit wind, as the Aramaic would call him, conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so don't faint, my son, when you are chastened by him, for being chastened results in the peaceable fruit of the spirit, which is the manifestation of Christ's life in our mortal bodies. So the new covenant is new wine poured not into the old man, but the new man, a new humanity with a new heart and a new spirit who serve God and one another in the newness of the spirit, kainoteti pinumatos, in the newness of the spirit, Romans 7, 6, and not the oldness of the letter, the obsolescence, the obsoleteness of the letter. The letter is just a technical word for the old covenant, given at Mount Sinai, where the mediator of that covenant said, I'm trembling and fearful. I'm fearful. I'm terrified. And Jesus is not like Moses. He's the mediator of a new covenant in his own blood. So we are servants of a new covenant. Not testament. 
covenant, the atheke, not testament. There's only one place in the word of God where God allows for the comparison of a will and testament with a covenant. And that's in Hebrews 9. We'll get there, hopefully. If I don't, somebody will. So the NCC, the New Covenant community, are competent servants of the New Covenant because God made us that way. Our competence is from him, not ourselves. It has nothing to do with you, I hate to tell you. No, I love to tell you, actually. Second Corinthians 3, 5, nothing to do with us. Our competence is of God. We're competent servants of a New Covenant, not of the letter that kills but of the spirit who gives life. Again, that's 2 Corinthians 3.6. The new covenant people are the new wine skins. We happen to be people covered with skin, filled with the new wine of the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Ephesians 5.18. The new wine. So God makes us a new creation, a new people, a new humanity, and then pours into us a new wine. If people knew about the new wine, they'd never have a problem with the old wine. This people are one new man in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.15. He broke down the barrier between Jews and Gentiles in his death, and Jesus himself is our peace. And he made the two into one new man. They are filled with the new wine of the Spirit. They walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh, says Romans 8.4 and Galatians 5.16. Not slavishly fulfilling the inordinate desires of the flesh. And in them the righteousness required by the law. Namely, to love God totally and to love one's neighbor as oneself is fulfilled in them by the spirit given to them who pours out the love of God in them. God in us, both willing and doing of that which pleases him. What pleases God? A faith that works by love. You will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, strength. And you will love your neighbor as yourself. And that expands into loving the alien also later on in Leviticus 19. And Jesus said, you will love your enemies. But even more than that, he said, love one another as I have loved you. The love of Christ controls us. So the ministry of the new covenant and ministry there means generally operation, the operation that's going on, the ongoing operation or action of the Holy Spirit is what we're involved in. We are in the ministry, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. We are actually engaged in an operation of which the Holy Spirit is the actor, the mover, the willer, and the mover. That's why we don't quit. We don't faint, we don't cave in, we don't give up. That means we don't really have too much time in this life to sulk or for self-pity. I've been convicted of a lot of sins in my life 
And the one that makes me the sickest is self-pity. If I ever find that I'm in self-pity, if I'm sulking or something, the Holy Spirit will say, what's this self-pity all about? And I go, you know, it is self-pity, isn't it? That's sickening. No time for that. The New Covenant community walks by the Spirit and not the flesh, not slavishly fulfilling excessive desires of the flesh. And in us, the righteousness required by the law is being fulfilled. What is the righteousness required by the law? Love, period, that's it. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no ill to its neighbor, therefore love is all that the law requires. And so we walk in the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, which is the fulfillment of the law. I will write upon their hearts my laws, the sum total of which you will love the Lord your God totally, and you'll love your neighbor as yourself. And beyond that, Jesus says you'll love your enemies, and you will love one another as I have loved you. That's at the end of John 13. At the beginning it says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. In other words, when you love as Jesus loves, your love goes the distance. It never ends. It never stops. You love till the end. You may even have to cut someone off or detach yourself from someone because they insist on a certain activity in their life that's self-destructive and destructive of you or your family. But that doesn't mean you stop loving them. You love them to the end. Your love goes the distance. And so, even beyond that, what the law requires we do that because the Holy Spirit who is given to them, to us, the New Covenant community, in fulfillment of the promise of Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my spirit. The word didomi is actually is I will give my spirit into them. Give. It's a gracious verb. That's why he's called the spirit of grace. Hebrews 10, 29. Related to the blood of the covenant. Related to the Son of God. Never think of the Spirit without thinking of the Spirit within the Father and the Son. Never think of the triune God as tritheistic. In other words, they're not three gods. Where the Spirit is, the Lord Jesus is, the Father is. Where the Father is, the Spirit is, and the Lord Jesus is. It's not the Spirit doing something over here and Jesus over here and the Father busy up there saying, hey, what are you doing, Spirit, over there? They're always hand in hand. They're always, these three are one. I am in my Father and my Father is in me and you are in me and you are in my Father and the Spirit is in me and the Spirit is in you and the Spirit is in the Father and the Son and when the Spirit comes to you, Jesus said, he will be in you and with you, with you and in you forever. But my Father and I will also come and make our abode with you. It's not tritheism, three gods. It's triune God, one God, three actors, three subjects, three persons. If you want to remind yourself, the Nicene Creed was correct. The Constantinopolitan or Constano, 
Neapolitan Creed was correct. The Chalcedon Creed of 451 AD was correct. They were, they're not inspired, but they are correct statements of the Trinity and of the divinity of Jesus Christ, his two natures in one person. So try not to think of the Spirit without the Father and the Son with the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. When I say the Spirit, Paul said, I meant the Lord the Spirit. The Lord our God is one Lord. So the Lord is the Spirit, the Father is the Spirit, the Son is the Spirit, because God is a Spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in reality, in truth. Not in ritual, but in reality. Not in pretense, but in truth, in authenticity. So that's just a kind of a side, well, it's not really a sidecar because we're dealing with a theological exegesis of Hebrews here. Now, we are servants of a new covenant. And we walk in newness of life. Newness of life. Kainotete zoes. Newness of the spirit, kainotete pneumatos, 7.6 of Romans. Newness of life, kainotete zoes, in Romans 6.4. Both the spirit and life come up again in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And there are many connections between 1 Corinthians 15 and 2 Corinthians 3, if you want to follow that road. Now, the spirit by which we serve is not our own power, but divine power, namely the power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who lives right within our bodily members, right within our wineskins is the new wine, right within our bodily members is the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who will, at the time of God's choosing, change these bodies into bodies of glory in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. The sound of the last trump, sound of a shout of the Lord, like the shout of an archangel. Not a rapture where God takes away a few people from the earth, but the restoration where the Lord comes and people meet him coming in and go with him to the earth where it will be restored with the heavens and the earth. The rapture, as it's taught today by dispensationalism, is a false doctrine. It leads to a false hope. It is a destructive doctrine. And it reveals an ignorance of the mystery, the mystery of God's will, which is the summing up of all things in Jesus Christ and the restoration of all things, which was the message of all the holy prophets of God from time immemorial and is the message of the apostles and the message of Jesus Christ, the message of pastors and teachers and evangelists and the apostolic church or the new covenant apostolate. Now there are different words for serve. I'm not going to hit them all today, but I like to mix up every message. I like to mix up, as one of my history teachers used to say, everything from soup to nuts in a single message. So I like to bring a little bit of word study, a little bit of theology, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of exegesis, a little bit of exposition, sometimes even a little bit of stupid humor. But here we have Romans 7, 6, different words for serve. In Romans 7, 6, 
instead of writing it up here because I have a little more to communicate, it'll be in the printed version, which I hope you'll consult because I'm actually trying to make these printed things easier to read, dividing them up into little sections and paragraphs so it'll be easier to digest. But the word duluo, D-O-U-L-E-U-O, en kainotete, Romans 7, 6, serve in newness of life. The word serve there, duluo, actually is a word for the service of slaves. But what it means is not that we are slavishly serving God or one another, but that as a slave will do even the slightest bidding of his master, we do even the slightest bidding of God. If we think something that we are asked to do by the Lord is too small for us to do, and we don't do it, he will never commit to us greater things. If you're faithful in the little, you'll become ruler over much. A true servant of Christ rejoices in doing even the smallest things, like John the baptizer said, like carrying his sandals or undoing the latchet of Jesus' sandal or this or that. And we serve one another. The word duluo in Galatians 5.13 means that we serve each other in actually little things too. It's amazing how small kindnesses, which the Bible calls tender mercies, reveal the greatness of God. So duluo is a general term there. Together, the new covenant community walks Walks is simply a metaphor for our general livingness. We live. We walk by the Spirit means we live by the Spirit. We walk by faith means we live under the promptings of faith. We live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. So walking in newness of life means living a livingness that's new and ever fresh. Like the song says, forever young. So together, the New Covenant community walks or lives and serves God, Christ, and one another. We live not to ourselves, but to him whom God raised from the dead, 2 Corinthians 5.15. We serve one another in love, in Galatians 5.13. We consider each other more important than ourselves, in Philippians 2.1-4. We let this mind be in us, which is also in Christ Jesus. In the newness of the spirit of life, we serve one another in love. It's called the labor of love in Hebrews 6.11, 6.10-11. It's called the labor of love in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. In the newness of the spirit of life, The New Covenant community lives by the law, and by law there means operation. Lives by the operation of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We are within an operation of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Not just the spirit of life over here, Christ Jesus over here. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's why I call the higher integration of human living and human service is in Christ Jesus and by the Spirit. When Jesus comes to us, he comes with the Father. So may Jesus Christ himself and the Father console you, who have, they have given you everlasting consolation.
The spirit, sometimes viewed in the feminine gender, is also with the son and with the father. And they're always not without the other. Again, this true theology is not tritheism, three gods, but Trinitarian, three persons, one divine being called God who is love. So the ministry or the ongoing act and action of the new covenant in which we are engaged is a ministry of righteousness, as 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 9 says. Why a ministry of righteousness? Because the righteousness that the law has commanded, Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 18, and also Matthew 5, 44 and John 13, 34, all related to love, is accomplished in those who are relying on the spirit and not on the flesh. The righteousness of the law, that's required by the law, and summed up in the commands to love God and to love our neighbor, is fulfilled in us by the Spirit, by the triune God. And that's why, that's something, it's hard to quit something God's doing. <laughs> I, I found that out. In fact, I don't know about you, but I've had times where I'm, my mind was set on quitting. And by that I meant, I'm, I'm just not, I'm done with this. Meaning Christianity. I couldn't quit. Are you kidding? I, I thought, you can't do this. You can't quit him. <laughs> I can't quit. I say to the Lord, I can't quit you. You know what he says back to me? I can't quit you either. He can't. He even said in, in Hosea, you see a picture of him saying to Ephraim, I'm done with you. And then a couple chapters later, he says, I can't, I'm not, I can't be done with you because <laughs> of love. Love, is there something God can't do? Yeah, God can't not love. He can't judge without love. He can't judge without mercy, which is, a function of his love. Kind of grateful for that one. And so it's a ministry of the spirit, not just a ministry of righteousness, but 2 Corinthians 3, if you read it through again on your own, if you wish. It's also called a ministry of the spirit because the operation and the livingness and the service in which we're engaged is an act of the spirit in the performance of his divine mission. And we get to come along on the ride with him. So it's us acting as God is acting in us. It's us even willing, desiring as God wills and desires in us. Happy is the person whose desire is what God desires. So the Lord is the spirit as 2 Corinthians 3.17 to 18 says. And so the ministry in which we're engaged is the operation of the Spirit who pours out the love of God because the operation and the livingness in which we are engaged is the act of the Spirit in the performance of his divine mission. 
a mission he fulfills not without the Father and the Son. When Jesus was in the days of his flesh, he said, I, I'm working up to this moment, and my Father is working, meaning I'm only working and doing as my Father is working and doing. What I say is what I hear him say. What I do is what he's doing in me. There's never a separation of the triune God. At the cross, something happened, however, that is extraordinary and unspeakable, which I will not speak about right now. But leave to your imagination. Imagination. Do you ever want to hear a good song? Imagination is a good song. My, my Uncle Bob sang it for the Jimmy Dorsey Orchestra. And I, you can actually hit it up online. And I am very self, filled with self-pity because I didn't get that voice like my mom's brother did. Back then, you weren't like the super singer. Singers today are, are featured and they're in front. When, when my Uncle Bob sang with Jimmy Dorsey, first of all, he shook hands with him. And so he was faithful to a contract with him for the rest of his life until Jimmy died. And he was asked at the end of his life, Bob, why did you always stay with Jimmy? And he said, because sh we shook hands. That's why. And when my Uncle Ray sang with Glenn Miller's band, they used to, the band would play for a long time. It would be like a lead-in, like the whole song's done. And then Bob would come out of the dark room and be in the light for a minute and sing a chorus and then disappear again. I was like, what's that about? That's when a thing happened in our culture called humility. There was a thing happening in our culture called Humility called the spotlight isn't always on me. And so I loved Bob because he, he was content to kind of back and he would come up to our house once in a while. He had a talent better than singing. It was comedy. He would come up and my mom and my mom's sisters would be there and we would uh, hang out in our living room. And he would make us laugh with tears for three hours straight. Literally, he was the funniest man I ever knew in my life. But he could sing. Strange. Why am I going there? Because I'm old. <laughs> Imagination is funny. It can make a cloudy day sunny. It'll be sunny when you go out today. Watch, you'll see. Now... As you can tell, I didn't get the Everly voice. Saying all that just to let what I said so far sink in, because we're going to go into a second phase and a final phase. So in Romans 7, 6, Paul uses the word duluo for serve, as he also does in Galatians 5, 13. In Philippians 3, 3, he says of himself and the entire New Covenant community, we serve, this time he uses the word latruo, latruo, L-A-T-R-E-U-O, latruo. That's a very important one because that has a special nuance. It means to serve 
in a religious capacity, some would say, but I would say in a priestly capacity, to serve in a priestly capacity, la truo, by the Spirit of God, he said. We serve la truo, not like them, the mutilators, the dogs that you got to be aware of, those who demand circumcision to be saved. We are not like those, the evil workers, the concision, the mutilators, the dogs. We are the true circumcision who serve Latruo as priests by the Spirit of God. There's the ministry of the Spirit. We boast in Christ Jesus, not in our activity. And Paul said, I, may it never be that I would ever boast in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, not in circumcision, not in ritual, not in I did this or I did that or I'm doing this or I read 10 chapters a day of my King James Bible and end up more stupid than I was before I started reading. No. This is Latruo. We boast in Christ Jesus, and then I love what he said, we don't have any confidence in the flesh, none at all, zero, zero, zero confidence. You hear a zero tolerance, zero confidence, zero tolerance for the flesh. It's precisely because we have no confidence in the flesh that we don't quit. In the measure that my confidence is in the flesh is the measure that I will want to quit or try to quit. If we don't have a ministry of condemnation, I wouldn't blame. I wonder why some people even stay in ministries where they're condemned every week because they're in a ministry of condemnation. They're supposed to quit a ministry of condemnation. We have a ministry of justification. We live within an operation of God justifying all in his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we don't quit. We don't quit because you can't quit. Latruo, Philippians 3.3, 3, 2 Timothy 1.3, Romans 15.16, Romans 1.9. Paul says, the Lord God whom I serve with my spirit in Romans 1.9. And then in Romans 15.16, on the other bracket of Romans, he said, I serve as a priest and my offering is the Gentiles to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We'll do more on this sometime, but in 2 Timothy 1.3, Paul says, Thank God, I thank God, whom I serve, Latruo, with a clear conscience, like Hebrews 9.14, as my forefathers did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. Part of our service as priests is prayers for one another in the Holy Spirit. He prompts them, and if you're like me, I pray sometimes and I try to make the prayer a little more formal to God, like from my heart. I try to frame it a little more formally and the Holy Spirit like says, I knew what you meant the first time. Just when you thought that word, it was very simple and you talked to me like you talked when you were six, I got the prayer. You don't have to now make it a King James prayer or a Shakespearean Elizabethan poem. I get the prayer. I get you. So you mean you understood me when I said help or save me or get me out of this one, Lord. I know I got myself into it. 
get me out of it. I prayed that a few times. Still hasn't gotten me out of it. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Now, here we have it. It's no wonder that people quit certain things. Our operation in the ministry of the Spirit and righteousness is not a ministry of condemnation. It's not a ministry of the latter, legalism, law. It's a sphere of divine power and activity and on our part of mostly passive faith. Faith rest, it's called. It's no wonder that people quit what is falsely called the Christian faith when they're constantly condemned and when they're continually required to do right in the energy and the strength of their weak humanity. No wonder they quit. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1, and righteousness is not what you do but what God has done in Psalm 22.31. It's the saving act of God. Righteousness is what God has done in Christ and what he currently does in the New Covenant community. It's true that God won't quit us. It's also true that we can't quit him. We don't quit because we can't quit, and I'll prove it in another New Covenant verse that we haven't entertained until today. And I'm amazed at Brian's prayer because he talked about the fear of the Lord right in his opening words, and here it is. Let's turn to Jeremiah 32, 40. If you have your Septuagint translation, you got it this week, Jeff? No, you don't have your Septuagint. Okay. Father, bless Pastor Stewart despite him not having his Septuagint translation today. Jeremiah 32, 40, Septuagint 39, 40, my translation, looking at the Greek text, looks like this. And I will covenant an everlasting covenant. Is there a place in Jeremiah where everlasting covenant is used like there is in Hebrews 13.20? God of peace who led up from the dead. Like Jesus took the hand of the little girl whom he called little lamb arise and pulled her up. So the father took the lamb of God, his son, and said, Come up, son. Took him by the hand and led him up from the dead, the realm of the dead. The God of peace led up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus. That same Father will empower you in every good deed and every good work to his glory. But he raised him up because of, on account of, the blood of the everlasting covenant. I will covenant an everlasting covenant. Diathekein aeonion diathekein. I will covenant an everlasting covenant with them, which I will never turn away from behind their back. That's a really difficult thing to translate, but it, that's what it literally means, is I will never stop having their back. It means I will never depart from them. It's a picture of someone going into the battle, and God goes into battle in the forefront, and he is our rear guard. He goes before us. Jesus is our forerunner. He leads from the front. He goes before us into battle. And the Lord here says, I will never quit or apostatize, literally, from behind you. In other words, we're never going into battle where I don't have your back as well as lead from the front. 
Never. I got your back, God says, and never don't have your back. You see a picture of a cartoon. My sister Becky sends quirky texts. She sent me a picture of a, a stick figure picture, and there was the head and the legs and the arms, but no line between the head and the legs. And this other stick figure was holding this the stick and he was saying to his friend I got your back <laughs> now picture that so God has our <laughs> he has our back all the time that's a Becky I'm in the middle of profound thought or a profound episode of Gunsmoke and when I say Matt Dillon I don't mean the actor Matt Dillon that was in something about Mary no I'm talking about Marshall Matt Dillon Marshall Dillon He's my guy. And every time the episode opens up with dun dun dun, boom, he shoots somebody. A bad guy, somebody who needs it. Now, God's got our back. We say, I got your back. God has our back. He also has the front covered, He's got us surrounded, He goes before us into battle. And so that's what it means. I will covenant an everlasting covenant with them which I will never turn away from behind their back. And I will give into their heart. I'm trying to translate exactly how the Greek text works. I will give into their heart the reverence toward me or the fear toward me, the reverential awe toward me so that they may never depart from me. They may never depart from me. If you really know the fear of the Lord, you can't quit him. You can't quit him. It's not just because you're afraid of what will happen if you run away from him. It's a reverential awe that you can't get away from him. If I make my bed in hell, there he is. If I ascend to the highest heavens, there he is. If I'm in the worst situation I've ever been in in my life, there he is. He's got my back. He's got my front. He's, got, he's surrounding me. He won't leave me. I can't quit him. I can't quit I don't quit because I can't quit. Which is why I always get a chuckle out of people saying, well, you stayed faithful all these years. I couldn't not. It's not, when you literally, we say sometimes, it's not me, it's Jesus. It really isn't me, it's Jesus. It's the faithfulness of Christ. But we don't say it flippantly. I will give into their heart. This is a grace gift of never being able to quit. A grace gift of never being able to quit the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of our service of the Lord. So that they may never depart from me, he says. So we, the new covenant community, are the beneficiaries of this everlasting covenant. God will never turn away from us or leave us as our rear guard, as it's called. God himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Meaning there's no occasion that can cause me to do that. Deuteronomy 31.6, Hebrews 13.5. Jesus leads us from the front as our forerunner 
But the triune God also has our back and will never stop having our back. Our advancement is therefore called vertical finality. Our advancement itself is called vertical finality. It's an upward advance empowered by the Lord the Spirit acting in concert with the Father and the Son in answer to a heavenly calling which is finalized in the beatific vision or the seeing of God as he is in his essence. It's a vision which will entail knowing of him as he knows us, a knowing as we are known. A vision will never get over. We say that all the time. I'll never get over that in a good way or a bad way. This is a good way. I'll never get over. You'll never get over when you see the face of God. You'll never get over it. It'll always be stunning, shocking, rapture-producing, elation-producing. But you don't know what's going on when that's going on. You're being made in the same image as him. We'll never get over a vision that's called beatific. Because that beatific vision, as it's called, a vision of such beauty that we couldn't handle in this life with these eyes. These eyes, never mind. We could never handle it. These eyes have seen a lot of loves, but they've never seen a kind of love like that one. These eyes will see him. And the beatific vision is also a beatifying vision. The beauty that we see transforms us into its own beatific beauty. The beatific vision is one that beatifies, glorifies, transfigures the seers into the very image of God's Son, Jesus, whom we now see with the eyes of our heart, obscurely, as in a glass darkly, like the Elizabethan language would say it. But more and more clearly, as we're being transformed by the unfading glory of the new covenant. What is the unfading glory of the new covenant? the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that shines in the face of Jesus Christ. Jenny Powell sees that face fully, fully now. The face of our crucified, resurrected, and glorified Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to close with a couple of verses that are quite encouraging. First is Hebrews 12. Speaking of not quitting, 12, 1 to 3, my translation reads like this. So then having such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that's the Hebrews 11 crowd, in whom was the faith of Jesus Christ. Let's rid ourselves of every weight and easily ensnaring sin and advance with patience in the contest that's set before us, looking away from everything and everyone else to Jesus, the exemplar and completer of the feet, F-E-A-T, of faith, who instead of the joy that was set before him, patiently endured the cross, scorning the shame, and who is now enthroned at the right hand of the throne of God. 
And Hebrews 10.35, even more pointed to our year 2023, the year of the being saved and of the perishing. Please note both of these features in this one passage. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Let your hope be firm, in other words. For you have need of perseverance, so that upon accomplishing the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a In so little time, the coming one will come and will not delay. Now, there is an AD 70 adjunct to this, which we'll be getting to soon. But there's also the imminence of the coming of the Lord in our time and the universal revelation of him. Notice what it says, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back in fear... If he draws back in cowardice, timidity, my soul is not pleased with him. But we already learned that we can't do that anyways. We can't do that because he put the fear of himself in us. So then it goes on to say, now we are not those who draw back. We are not those who draw back. We do not. We're not of those who draw back. Why? Because we can't. We don't quit because we can't quit. We are not of those who draw back to perishing. There's a lot of big talk today about I identify as. Well, I identify as not one who shrinks back into perishing, but what? One, those who have faith to the being saved of the soul. Peripoiesen suke. I identify as the New Covenant community, a member of the New Covenant community that presses on and perseveres and can't quit and won't quit until I've done the will of God, which is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We don't quit because we have this ministry finally. We don't quit because... Here's where two core is woven into this scenario in 2 Corinthians 4, and I'm only going to do this very briefly in close. We are not of those who go back because God has our back. There was a famous preacher once who was preaching about you can never lose your salvation or you can't. He said pretty much what I'm saying now. And somebody stood up and said, well, what if you turn your back on God, then he said, well, God will have your back. What if you turn your back on the light? He said, well, then the light will shine on your back. The light will always be on you. We are not of those who go back because God has our back. So try to go back, and who's there? God behind you, saying, turn around and go back where I said you were going. I never said turn around. I said keep going that way. So if you turn around, he'll turn you around. He causes repentance, not you. God effects repentance in people. God grants repentance in Acts 11.18. He grants it even to those that are in the snare of the devil in 2 Timothy 2.24-26. Even those who offer their children in the valley of Hinnom called Gehenna in the arms of Molech. 
which has happened 60 million times in our history. God gives repentance. I never tell people to go to hell that are already there in the Valley of Hinnom under the god Moloch. Why tell someone to go to hell when they're already there? God gives repentance, though, to the worst offenders. So then, here's 2 Corinthians 4. We're among those people who decide we don't want to be part of the going back. And we thankfully find that we can't be anyways. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, having this ministry, not that old covenant, not that old ministry, we have this, what ministry? He already told you what the ministry is, the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, not the ministry of condemnation, not the ministry of the letter that kills. We have this ministry, having this ministry, the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness or justification for all, 2 Corinthians 3.9, back to Romans 5.18, a ministry of ever-increasing glory and of the new covenant that's been enacted with better promises, mediated by Jesus, ratified by his blood, the blood of the new covenant. We're talking about all this in the ministry that we have. Therefore, having this ministry, insofar as we have received mercy, mercy that God is going to give to all, we've already received Reconciliation has already happened for all, but we have acknowledged that we have it. Mercy, which he gives to all in Romans 11.32, we have received. We have received mercy, so we do not faint. We do not quit. We cannot quit. We received mercy that doesn't let us quit. So here again the verse. Therefore, having this ministry... Insofar as we've received mercy, we don't give up, lose heart, despair, become weary or tired, kowtow to the new screaming banshees who are so offended that you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, who are offended that you won't take Baal as Lord or Ishtar as Lord. You don't kowtow to them. You are very bold in their face. We are as bold as a lion in a time when the lion, the devil, is roaming to and fro as a lion seeking vulnerable prey. We go at that lion with a 470 double barrel. A 470 is a caliber. When a lion gets hit with two barrels of a 470, you have a sore shoulder, but he's dead. So then, closing. In reality, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. We have received mercy. And what happens when you receive mercy? You become the people of God. Once we were not a people. That's why I love that song we did recently. Today, the people of God. We are the people of God. Once we weren't even a people. What are you? Are you Irish? Are you African-American? Are you Irish-American? Are you Indian-American? Are you indigenous? No, I am the people of God. Once I wasn't a people. You can spit in a tube and find out that you're not really a people. 
Well, I got, you know, I got a little bit of Norwegian, I got a little bit of Viking, got a little bit of African, got a little bit of Jewish, got a little bit of Gentile, got a little bit of Irish, got a whole lot of Guinness, got a little And you still don't know who you are. You're not a people. And your epidermis doesn't tell you your origin either, nor does it define your identity. Your skin doesn't define your identity. The whole point about being in the New Covenant communities were all new wine skins And the whole point of that is to be filled with the new wine in the new wine skins. I identify as a new wine skin. So, we are the new covenant community. New wine skins filled with new wine, intoxicated with his joy. The righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, which we, the being saved, experience in the holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, the holy supernatural act of believing. Once we did not receive mercy, First Peter 2.10, now we have received mercy. Once we were not a people, Now we are the people of God, a royal priesthood who serve in the newness of life. That's who I identify with. Who do you, you know who I identify as? Christ. I am in Christ Jesus, a new creation. I can't quit him because he can't quit me. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Just to have the word of God go forth with power, with clarity, with joy, sometimes even with a little bit of elation. We thank you, Father, that we can identify truly as new wineskins filled with new wine, as a new garment altogether, not an old one. And we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For as many as have been baptized by the Holy Spirit into union with Christ have put on Christ. Thanks for that assurance, Father. Grant us the knowledge that we can't quit this ministry, not to tell us die church, but this ministry of the new covenant, this ministry of the spirit, this ministry of righteousness. And we ask it in Christ's name, amen. Name, amen.